Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, November 16th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer who joins me today from PW's editorial offices in New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So Wednesday was a big night for the publishing industry, the 69th annual National Book Awards. You weren't able to attend, but I wonder if you can tell us what people are saying around the PW office about this year's affair. Yeah, so it, w- it was a great night. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, great books. And I think around the office, the general sense of the people from PW who went was that the National Book Awards, not only was it an enjoyable evening, but the National Book Awards has really elevated its game in recent years under the leadership of Lisa Lucas at the National Book Association. Now, the National Book Association has always had game. I'm going to stipulate that right now. And the winners of the National Book Awards past, of course, have always been deserving. And these are outstanding works that they've written, you know, but I used to attend the awards quite a bit back in the day. And while they were lovely events, now they just seem to be buzzing. You know, they're much more diverse than ever. Uh, there's a, really a reflection of where we are today, where the great fiction and nonfiction of today is coming from. Uh, and it just seems younger, a little more hip, definitely edgy and current, you know, as John Marr and Calvin Reed noted in their report on the PW site, the political fervor underpinning the past few ceremonies also remained in this year's uh, awards. And there was a real sense of humor to it, uh, fun and humor. And, and I'm talking about the old time, you know, Garrison Keillor kind of grown along with me humor. Uh, this year's host was comedian, actor and author Nick Offerman of Parks and Rec fame. And I, I won't try to retell any of Offerman's jokes here because that's just not going to work. But you know, go ahead and read Calvin and John's story on the PW site and you'll get a sense of, uh, of how much fun he had. Well, I'm even smiling thinking about it, Andrew. And I guess we should uh, share with uh, listeners about some of the winners. And I see some surprises on the roster, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first we'll note the honorary awards, the the literary award, which goes for outstanding service to the American literary community, was given this year by Hidden Figures author uh, Margot Lee Shetterly to Sloan Foundation's Doran Weber, who told the audience that he was especially proud of using Sloan funding to support women writers and writers from marginalized communities. Obviously, some very important voices that we've been hearing much more from in recent years. The Medal for Distinguished Contributions to American Letters, kind of a surprise, a great award here was given to the amazing Chilean author Isabel Allende. Uh, she's the first Spanish language author uh, and the second not to be born in the United States to receive the award. And in what I'm told was a really emotional speech, both, both for her and for those in the room. She accepted the award on behalf of those who have come to America in search of a new life. And Allende, of course, came here as a political refugee herself, I believe, some 30 years ago. The National Book Award for young people's literature went to Elizabeth Acevedo for the Poet X, an excellent choice. And, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing Acevedo speak at a recent ALA conference, and she just wowed everyone. The brand new first time ever National Book Award in translated literature went to Toko Chiwada for The Emissary, which was translated uh, by Margaret Mitsutani. And I have to say, I think this is a big deal. I think this award is going to be fun to watch as it grows. I think translated literature, as we see from our travels abroad to Frankfurt and London book fairs, is really growing by leaps and bounds. And this award can only help bring more new voices to the front. And I think uh, that's a great thing. So I'll be interested in watching that award, Joe. 
uh, grow, excuse me. And in the poetry category, Justin Philip Reed won the National Book Award for his collection, Indecency. And, and this is where it gets fun for me now, the nonfiction part. Uh, the National Book Award for nonfiction this year went to Jeffrey C. Stewart for The New Negro, The Life of Alan Locke. And that's exciting for me because I spent some of the best years of my career as an editor at Stewart's publisher, Oxford University Press. And a National Book Award for Oxford University Press is a big deal. And my deepest congratulations to the many friends I still have there, including OUP President Nico Fund and the book's editor, Susan Ferber, who back when I left was a really promising young assistant editor who has now built a terrific career, which includes a National Book Award. So my heartfelt congratulations to all. This is an amazing moment, shows all the great work that Oxford does to the author too. Let's not forget the author in all of this. Um, he told the audience that what happened, that winning the award was unbelievable. Well, it's well-deserved. Congratulations. And of course, uh, Sigrid Nunez took home top honors in the fiction category for her book, The Friend. Uh, I think that was a surprise for many, too. It was a strong field this year, but I also think it was a happy surprise. Also this week, Andrew, on Monday, Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, arrived to the expected fanfare and excitement. And I have to ask you, what's that book looking like? Is it going to be the blockbuster you said it might be back in June after you saw the former first lady speak at the ALA annual conference in New Orleans? Indeed, yes. Uh, the blockbuster might end up not being a strong enough term. My colleague Claire Kirk filed a, a report from Chicago this week where Michelle Obama did her only scheduled bookstore signing. And after that, it's going to be stadium tours. And yes, that's right, a stadium author tour. Not something you hear very often in our business. She's going to be touring some really large arenas around the country. Tickets are on sale now in a number of locations. And I think many of them are already sold out. They've even had to add a few extra dates uh, for the appearance here in New York. So we won't have actual sales figures for Michelle Obama for a while, it seems, but you know the book is just out this week, but demand is really high and the reviews and the coverage so far have been very strong. Uh, and we do know that Random House has said that they've already printed about 2 million copies, have about 2 million copies out in the US in print, and they have about 3 million out worldwide. And those numbers I expect are only going to grow. Uh, and we also know that it's the most pre-ordered book since Go Set a Watchman from Harper Lee back in 2015. So all of this is great news for booksellers as the holiday season comes up. I'm sure this will be a nice little thing to, to boost holiday sales. When copyright clearances beyond the book returns, Andrew Albanese has word on anxiety in the corner office. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly and host of the new PW podcast, Publishers Weekly Insider. Each week, we'll talk to PW editors, authors, and other industry guests about the biggest and most exciting stories and books in the world of publishing. New episodes of PW Insider premiere every Friday. So listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwinsider or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes.
I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, November 16th, 2018, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me today as he does each Friday. Before the break, Andrew, you noted that Michelle Obama's book is welcome news for booksellers, and certainly this would include Barnes & Noble. The bookstore chain continues to make news, though, but not about book sales. CNBC ran an intriguing executive interview while lawyers went to court for a hearing in the lawsuit filed by former CEO Demos Parneros. Let's start with the CNBC interview. What struck you about that piece? Yeah, so you know, after we recorded last week, this piece came out and started having really got tongues wagging, I have to say, because in it, Riggio, Len Riggio was quoted as saying Barnes & Noble was, and I'll quote here, feeling highly anxious and another word quoted in the piece, paranoid <laughs> about the holiday season. But have to know that statement was later revised. And now there's a clarification on the piece saying that Riggio was only speaking, and I'll quote the clarification here. He was only speaking to how retailers as a group, as an entire group are feeling this year, Uh, to which I say, really? (laughs) That's because that's not the sense I'm getting. The economy is running hot, right? And as we just discussed, booksellers have some really big titles that could really boost their holiday sales, sales this year. My sense is that retailers feeling pretty good about going into the season, certainly not terribly anxious about it. That said, there's a line in the story that might explain why Len Riggio might be feeling anxious. Barnes & Noble has been making a lot of changes, really, and gearing up for this period right here, this holiday period. This is a huge period for them. They need to see results. And as the story says, uh, this may be the most crucial holiday period in the chain's history. And you know, here's the sort of crux of the CNBC piece, and I got wrote it down here. I'll see if I can quote it. The retail industry as a whole is expected to benefit from strong consumer spending. The average American household is expected to spend $1,536 through the holidays, according to a survey by Deloitte. And that's up 25% from a year ago. If Barnes & Noble can't grow sales against such a healthy economic backdrop, the company could ultimately head down the same path as its former rival Borders or Shutter Toys R Us or Sears which is in bankruptcy court. And let me tell you, Toys R Us, Sears, and Borders are not companies you want to be in company with. So no pressure, right? <laughs> anyway, if you haven't seen the wide-ranging piece on Barnes & Noble, do check it out. It's up now on the CNBC website. Well, very likely any of that anxiety could be due in large part to the company's ongoing legal battle. Andrew, you were in court for the latest hearing. Did you learn anything new there? Yeah, I think that you're right. There, some of the anxiety might be coming from this battle. Certainly, it, it's a factor. Uh, the conference that I was in court for this week was a routine conference, so there weren't any real big surprises there. But notably, it was the first time the parties had been before a judge, uh, and that is Judge John G. Kotal of the Southern District of New York. Kotal did sign off on a discovery schedule for the case, and that would have discovery for this case ending uh, sometime next summer. And the case was supposed to be ready for trial by October 23rd, 2019. So I guess you can mark your calendars in pencil for for next October. And he also encouraged the two sides to engage in settlement talks, which isn't unusual. It's quite frequent at this stage of the case. But it's pretty funny how that all went down in court. First, Kotal asked the attorneys for each side if they'd be willing to at least confer about a settlement with the help of a magistrate judge. And neither side sounded terribly enthusiastic or optimistic about that prospect. In fact, Parnero's attorney, Ann Clark, told the court the settlement discussions had been broached at one point, but didn't get 
far. But since neither side offered an unequivocal no, as Kotal observed, he went on to refer them to U.S. Judge, uh, U.S. Magistrate Judge Gabriel Gorenstein for a settlement conference. Now, the signed order that went through gives the parties until December 3rd to notify the court if such a referral is going to be, quote, useful for purposes of a settlement. So I don't exactly know if they're taking this time to think about going into that settlement conference or if they're going to do it. Uh, we'll know in the first week of December what's happening there, if they're actually going to have a settlement conversation. Kotal also suggested that the two sides consider waiving the jury waiver clause in Parneros' employment contract and to actually proceed this case with a jury. The litigation is currently proceeding as a non-jury case uh, because of that clause in Parneros' employment contract. And I have to say, I'm not exactly sure why the judge really seemed to want the two sides to agree to go forward with a jury here. And I've reached out to a few lawyers to get their thoughts, and they were going to get back to me. But of course, none of it really matters if both parties don't agree to waive that clause in Pernaris's contract. Uh, if they don't waive that clause, it's going to go ahead uh, and be decided by Judge Kotal. And in one other potential wrinkle that I thought was interesting, Parnero's attorneys informed the court that they plan to file a motion to dismiss Barnes & Noble's October 30 counterclaim. Now, our listeners will recall that at the end of October, Barnes & Noble countersued Parneros for damages and seeking to potentially also claw back payments they already made to him in light of his alleged disloyal conduct and a breach of fiduciary duty. Specifically, Barnes & Noble accuses Parneros of sabotaging the sale to the entity we now know as British for W.H. Smith. But uh, Parneros' lawyer, Ann Clark, told the court that Barnes & Noble's counterclaim simply didn't meet the proper legal standard to qualify for relief. Still, it was unclear whether or not that motion is going to actually materialize. Judge Kotal seemed to discourage it from the bench. He didn't, didn't shut it down entirely. But at this stage of the proceedings, he suggested that the fate of any motion to dismiss Barnes & Noble's counterclaim was probably going to necessarily turn on the facts being litigated in Parneros' suit against Barnes & Noble. So... It makes sense to me that the judge wouldn't want to do what he sees as duplicating effort. But I also think if Parneros can knock out the counterclaim, get it dismissed, find a way to get it dismissed, it'd be kind of a big deal for their case. And at the same time, leverage and any potential settlement. So, you know, I can see them wanting to proceed with this. And of course, if they lose their attempt to dismiss the case, well, that's not a good sign for them. So anyway, the two sides appearing in court is a sign that this litigation is proceeding. So beyond the sales figures and what's coming up for the holiday season, there's also this little drama to watch. And indeed, that courtroom drama may not bode well for book sales, but it certainly is a great gift for the lawyers. Andrew Albany's Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on CCC's Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, as a librarian, Marcy Phelps was trained to find, manage, and share information. As a detective, she is also after the facts and on a mission to prevent fraud. A licensed private eye who earned a Master of Library and Information Science degree, Phelps combs through databases and other online data dumps, documenting litigation, bankruptcies, and other regulatory actions that could raise unpleasant questions for investors. Her detective work isn't all digital, though. Most investigations involved online work. Even with surveillance, you can bet the investigator is doing some sort of online research beforehand. But there's a limit what you can find online. And in investigative work, what's missing is where your risk is. You have to be very careful about that. And 
that's why we also may have to do uh, courthouse uh, record searching because online is so incomplete. Or we may have to do in-person or phone interviews for the human touch, the things you can't find online. So online investigations are often just the starting uh, point or maybe the first phase of a more complex investigation. A private eye in the library, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center. Our co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The complete Beyond the Book podcast archive is available at beyondthebook.com. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening and join us again soon on CCC's Beyond the Book.